Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us for another episode of That's Not Crazy. Molly and I interview Jamie Wheeler, Director of Open Door Survivor Housing, and I wanted to start this episode off with a warning. We talk about sex trafficking, the porn industry, and other sensitive material. Jamie is an expert in the field of sex trafficking and recovery, so she's very careful in how she approaches these conversations. I learned so much from Jamie when I interned at Open Door in Lubbock, Texas, and I cannot wait for you guys to hear some of the things we talk about in this episode. Not only is Jamie the director of this program, she is also the author of the book called Empower, a workbook for individuals who have been victims of abuse, controlling relationships, or the sex industry. I used this book in my own community with a small group of women. We started an Empower class and worked through the book. It was so great to use the practical concepts and guides in this book. If you're someone who works with survivors of trafficking, women in the homeless community, or people in abusive relationships, get this book and work through it with your community. I promise you, you will get so much insight and have the tools to use from this book to work through it. We don't talk about her book in this episode, but I wanted to share this resource with you guys because I've found it very helpful. If you or someone you know is in an abusive relationship or in the sex industry, there are a ton of resources out there, including the National Human Trafficking Hotline at 1-888-373-7888 or text 233-733 for help or more information. Jamie also gives resources at the end of the episode if you'd like more info on how you can help people who've been involved in sex trafficking. I'm telling you, this episode is so informative and insightful, so grab some coffee and enjoy. Hi, Jamie. Hey, good morning. Hi. Good morning. So I'm going to have Molly just explain the lows and highs, then we'll jump into the interview. So it's just kind of a little fun thing to do. You can go as deep as you want to. You can be as simple and basic as you want to. We kind of fluctuate some weeks. I share all sorts of stuff. And then some weeks I just share the feeling and that's it. Do you want to share your, or I could go first. Let's do that. My low for the week has been grief and a little sad. And my high for the week has been really happy. I went to a childhood friend's wedding and it was really fun and we danced and we ate and caught up with everybody and I just love that and it made me feel really happy. So my low this week is probably grief. I'm finally just grieving a death over this past month that has happened a year and a half ago and I just didn't grieve through this whole entire time because I wanted to help everybody else out through their grief. Finally, it's catching up to me and I'm having dreams about this person and like I'm hearing his laugh in my dreams and I'm like waking up in the middle of the night crying and I'm like, oh man, like this is hitting me hard. And I am a very action oriented person, so I have to do something about it. And the way I'm dealing with that grief is something I'm excited about. So this high that I'm feeling for the week is I just announced that I'm going to 
be doing this like four by four by 48 challenge. And that makes me very nervous, but also extremely excited to do. Um, I'm doing this in honor of him and it's helping me deal with my grief and cope with it. So it's like, I'm grieving, but also excited about doing something in honor of him. Can you tell me more about the four by four by 48? <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, four miles every four hours for 48 hours. I'm doing this as a fundraiser to raise funds for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. You're running four miles every four hours for 48 hours. Yeah. I know. I'm like, that does sound fun. <laughs> Not for a fun cause, but a fun, uh, again, kind of way to, to do both. And I love that you guys do that. We talk a lot about that here, um, about we can experience both darkness and beauty at the same time. And that actually makes us fuller people. Mm. Uh, we don't want to become unbalanced to, you know, everything is always good all the time or everything is horrible all the time, but instead living in the complexity of that allows us to experience both more fully and more presently. And so we, we talk a lot about the same things. So I would say my low for the week was some of my positive feelings or kind of my highs have been, I had some feelings of betrayal, uh, from somebody, uh, which is one of the hardest feelings I've ever, I've ever felt feelings of being very, very grateful for so many things in my life. But, uh, we also have some things in our survivor housing program right now that we're getting to build the outdoor spaces uh, to where people live, which I know we'll kind of talk more about that later, but we're getting to put in some outside garden beds and some plants and um, just making the space really nice for people and, and trying to pull them outside more. So I'm just really grateful that um, people love us enough to help us out with those things. And I just know what a gift that they are and they're going to be. So very, very grateful this week. Yeah, that's really cool. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit more about what it is that you do and survivor housing and all of that? I know there's a lot going on there. So if you could just give us a little synopsis of all yeah. the things that are happening there. <laughs> Too many. Um, so <laughs> yes, I, I work with a group called Open Door Survivor Housing. So Open Door is a larger community and we have several different pieces to it. But the part I'm most involved in right now is a survivor housing program. Um, which is a program that we have 20 units of transitional housing where people can be there about 18 months and you qualify by being a, a survivor of sex trafficking. Um, that trafficking could have happened at any point in your life as a child or as an adult, um, but it is mainly housing adult survivors and then their children can also be housed alongside them. So um, we take people of any gender identity, um, any kind of sex trafficking situation, um, and so because they're in individualized units, then we have a little bit more freedom to welcome just about anybody um, to come in if this is the right fit for them. With that, we, we provide that housing, but it's, it's very supportive housing. And so we have a really awesome team here that works alongside all the survivors when they come in and throughout the time of the program. So we have uh, people who are advocates, who are kind of case managers. We have survivor advocates on our team who were survivors of trafficking themselves. Now they're in a healthy place to give back and, and use kind of their resiliences they gained from their experience in a positive way. Um, we have a, a really awesome therapist who knows a lot of different types of therapy so she can really meet people where they're at and several other people on our team that are just awesome to provide a lot of really great support. And so a big goal that we have is not just providing services for people while they're here, but 
to help build communities where people can, uh, for Open Door, our kind of tagline is live, thrive, and belong. And that is really what we're about. So it's not just throwing some services, but instead trying to help people understand the gift of living in community, learning, learning how to do that for the first time for most people. Uh, most people in trafficking have to compete against one another. It's very survival centered. And so getting out of that mindset to really live in community with other people is, is a huge journey, but it's a wonderful one that all of us really gain a lot being in community. And so we try to create the spaces that we have. Uh, we have about three locations where the housing is, and we create those spaces to be very community oriented, where we're helping people have groups together and do things outside together and the kids play together. So that way people can really learn what relationship in a healthy way can look like, because we know for all of us, that's that's at the core of who we are as people is relationship. And so whether that's relationship with our, our workplace, whether it's relationship with um, you know, significant other with ourselves, with just the outside culture, you know, it all comes down to relationship and learning how to do that in a healthy way. Can you tell us a little bit about what kind of drew you to this or how did you, how did you get to this place? What's your, what's your story about starting this program? Yeah. Um, it kind of just came out of a natural, uh, flow of things in my life. So I, after high school, I moved to New Zealand and I was working with the church there and we were out in the community a lot. And in New Zealand, prostitution is legalized. Prostitution and trafficking, they look very different than maybe in other places. And we had a woman who would bring her daughter to a kids program we were running and we got to know her and then found out that she was involved in prostitution um, just to kind of make a, a living for herself and her family. And during that time I saw her you know, make the choices to get out. And I saw how incredibly difficult it was for her. There were times when she didn't have food in the, in the cupboard, things like that during that transition. And I, I just thought no one should have to work that hard to make a better life for themselves and not have any support. You know, she's putting in so much work and there's just not a lot here for her. And um, thankfully I, I still am in contact with her and she's actually doing really well now. That was probably 17 years ago now that, that, uh, that I knew her and she actually owns her own business now. And she's, she's doing very well. She's has custody of her children. Um, but it was just such a long, difficult journey and no one should have to make that without support. And so when I moved back home, um, to the States, you know, domestic violence, so many different things. And at the time I thought, you know, someday I'd really like to work in trafficking overseas. At that time, I was like most people, I thought it was mostly international. So I thought, well, I'll just learn about it for right now. And then later when I can move overseas, I'll do that. And also like most people, once you learn, your eyes are open and then you see things everywhere. And so I realized, oh my goodness, this is all around the community that I'm in. And so we just started being more vocal, talking about um, talking about trafficking, talking about the overlap with prostitution, talking about healing, and us putting a voice to it. We had so many people come forward in our community to share their story, to say, I've never told anyone this. Maybe I didn't even know what it was called. And from there, you know, we were like, well, these are people we love. These are people we're in community with. So uh, how do we support them? You know, and so we would have support groups and try to connect with you know, resources for counseling. And um, it just kind of grew out of there. And again, we always thought, oh, a dream someday would be that we could have housing for people because without that stability, you know, support groups and all those things are wonderful, 
but you're sending people right back out into that survival situation. And so it's not very likely they're going to be able to really just get up and out of there if they don't have another option. So we dreamed of this for a while. And a couple years ago, the governor's office um, sex trafficking team here in Texas came to us and said, hey, you've done housing and now you've worked with trafficking survivors a long time. Why don't you apply for this grant and kind of do both? And that's how we were able to get a grant to actually do the transitional housing program. I know you've been working on this for quite some time. Eight years ago when I was there with you, that was like the first step was going to the strip clubs. I thought that was so interesting about how you started this. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so the important thing I, I think with any community, any services, anything like that, is that we are willing to go where people are and where they're experiencing life. And oftentimes we set up our spaces to be, hey, this is my office, you know, this is the resource, come and get it. And then we wonder why people don't come or we're, you know, we're kind of judgmental and say, oh, well, they must not want the help. They don't want to show up here. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it's a foreign concept to go walk into an office. Also, a lot of people have had really bad experiences in offices mm-hmm. where they were treated in a very demeaning way, where they were, you know, kind of seen almost as, you know, lacking because you need help and all these things. And people don't want to have to, to deal with that. And so it's really important that we meet people where they are in their own space and that we adjust our culture to understand theirs instead of imposing our culture on other people. And that's one of the biggest journeys we've been oh, on open for a long time is that we have to, you know, if we're, if I move to another country, you know, tomorrow, hopefully I'm going to be reading and, and learning the language and learning the cultural customs and all these things to go in. So I'm not offending people. So I'm able to adjust a little bit easier. So I'm able to live there, but so often in domestic areas and different cultures, we don't think of it the same way when at the same time, we have so many subcultures around us all the time that especially for myself being white, I'm part of the dominant culture. And I have to realize that comes with things when I go into other spaces, even if I didn't want them to be that way, even if I don't treat people differently, it means something because unfortunately of the way that our, our country has been set up. And so I have to be willing to put aside my dominant cultural views and sit and learn and listen. What is it to speak this language? What is, you know, what are the values here? How do you communicate those values? And then adjust myself to being within that culture. Mm-hmm. And so often that's not what we're doing. Yeah, it's just so, it's so foreign and profound. So I, I love because it's the hardest. It is, you know, it's, it's hard to put aside yourself and go and learn. It requires a lot more effort. Whereas a lot of people show up and say, oh, I care about this. This is what I'm going to do for you. And they're not really coming in and figuring out, you know, what does this culture already have that we can build on? How do I get to learn this culture? And so what happens in those situations is this kind of giver receiver uh, mentality arises, you know, Mm -hmm. that I'm, I'm here to give, you're here to receive. I have some level of authority. You are below me. And that is opposite of what community is about. Community is about we become interdependent and you have something to bring and I have something to bring and we're thinking about how we're bringing that in the healthiest way. That's one of the things I think I learned from your community was that whole thought process and that whole idea. I was always taught and what I believed before going there was, you know, like, oh, you have something, you're the helper, go and help. 
go into the communities and give what you have, then that comes across as, well, I'm more than you. You're less than. I have something to give. You have nothing to give. And that's not the case. And then the sad thing is, is that we build on those ideas that people have been taught from people like pimps, from people like who are mm. you know unhealthy and hurtful and and all of those systems that have already been built on, we not intentionally, I really don't think most people intentionally realize that, but then we add to saying, you know, that is your value or, you know, this is true about you. When instead, if we could just sit back for a minute and again, it is important we're in those spaces, you know, it is important that you're bringing yourself there, but how we do it is incredibly important. The how is almost more important than the what in most situations. You know, if we're there genuinely to uh, try to, you know, cheerlead for a vulnerable culture and help support them, then we've got to make sure that we're not adding to that vulnerability by creating those dynamics. Yeah. Um, you had a great reading list before anybody volunteers or works with you. And one of them is when helping hurts. And that's a great resource for people who do want to be helpful and who have been taught that, you know, go out and give all that you have to people less than just that whole language of less than or who don't have enough or whatever it is. That book was very helpful. So just wanted to throw that out there for anybody who wants to read it. What do you think some of the mental health struggles are? What are you seeing right now in your community? You know, mental health as well, it goes all the way around, right? It's not just for the people that were we're there to try to support, but for ourselves. Um, and so I think that's a good place to start is kind of figuring out whatever is within me is probably what I'm going to be projecting outside of me. You know, that's what I'm going to actually be able to give. And so starting with knowing, you know, if, if you're someone who's wanting to be a helper and, and cares about, you know, your neighbor and all these things that we've got to take our own mental health very seriously, we've got to be willing to heal and uh, we were actually just in a conversation yesterday that we were talking about how trauma is like a, a Tetris game, right? And it just stacks and stacks and stacks unless you do that really core healing to kind of dig that out and, and uproot that. Um, and then you can start to deal with just the normal day-to-day -day stresses that happen. But if we don't do that, then we're just kind of piling that on. And it, it leads us to a lot of unhealthy behaviors and ways that we treat people even not meaning to. And so I think starting with ourselves is really important. During COVID, it's been difficult for everybody. And one of the things that, you know, we've tried to push with our team is to say, hey, let's let's let, let this make us more empathetic. Think about this feeling of feeling so out of control every day, not knowing, you know, so much is, is being decided for us that's outside of us. We don't know when things are gonna change again. And that is the feeling that people who struggle with mental illness, that's the people who struggle with homelessness and trafficking and all these other vulnerabilities, that's what they feel all the time, this lack of control. And so this is a good opportunity that even in this you know, difficult time that we can press into that and really remember this is what's going on. And maybe I can be a little bit more empathetic knowing that. Yeah, I'm sure in your line of work, you see and hear a lot of bad things and so it is really important for you to take care of yourself like you said yeah so you know for us self-care is really important and not just in a, a cheesy way but we really fight for that around here so we actually give all of our staff members one hour on the clock of self-care every week 
um, you know, just to make sure that they know that even in like our policies, we're providing that because it's very important in a workspace or whatever community you're in that, you know, kind of officially like on paper, there are things set in place, but also that you create the cultural side of it because we could have an hour of self-care every week for people. But if, you know, let's say for me as a team leader, someone lets me know they're taking their self-care and I make a comment like, you know, are you sure you need that? Or it seems like you're doing that all the time, right? Then I'm creating a culture that's not really supporting that. And so it's important that those things go hand in hand. So for us, we really encourage self-care. We put that as a part of people's jobs, but we also create a culture environment that if you just heard something difficult and you need to go on a walk around the block, let's do it. So we work every year. We, we do new self-care plans with all of our staff members and all of our team, uh, including myself. And so we, our self-care plan looks like part of it is what we call a safety plan. So meaning that, okay, in, if there's an immediate crisis right that moment, I obviously don't have time to take vacation or whatever, what's going to help me stabilize right in that moment? Um, you know, and then other things like what's something you can do every day, what's something you can do each week, what's something you do for the year. So that's where we look ahead to make sure that we use all of our vacation days for the year. We have, we give people a lot of vacation days to really rest. Um, but if we don't plan that out for the year, well, then, you know, we might wait till the end of the year and use them all. And we've needed that time throughout the year. So just being very intentional about what that looks like and then having, uh, positive accountability for whenever, you know, we need kind of that extra nudge. And then we also have mental health days that you can take. Um, I think we do like five a year, but those are days that, you know, we don't plan ahead, but let's say at night, you know, we had a, a crisis and I was up all night and emotionally, I just, I just really have got to have some time. Then I can say, look, I, I need a mental health day. And then, you know, the rest of the team will cover that taking care of yourself and the work that you do is not something very popular too. I wish we did that in the mental health hospital, had a better culture of um, self-care and supporting one another in that. We can't cultivate what we're wanting with survivors if we're not doing that ourselves, you know, and we, we have the difficulty and also the, the fortunate part of working with survivors. These are people who they have survived off of reading people. And so they will pick up very quickly if you're not genuine, if you don't want to be there, if you're beefing with your coworker, they're going to pick that up. And so we cannot risk that we're not okay. Mm-hmm. And part of that self-care is also team care. So we do like once a month, we'll spend a couple hours doing something fun together as our team. Self-care is even how, what your space feels like. It, it really goes through all the levels. So for me, if you can see in the background, I have a couch in my office. Part of that is because I might just need to feel a little comfortable and it might need to take a little power nap. I want people to feel comfortable being in the space that they're in because that also allows you to rest a little bit more, even when you're working and doing hard things. Um, and so, and, and again, that communicates something to people when they walk in the, the room that they can feel a little bit more relaxed. Um, self-care for us also looks like we, you know, we dress appropriately, but we really dress down so that our Our community, you know, we're not dressing above them or anything like that. But also, once again, the more comfortable we feel, the more ourselves we will be. And that is when I bring my healthiest self to the table and the rest of the team does that, that is the best thing for our environment uh, all the way around for all of us and for the survivors, you know, to learn to be confident about yourself again, 
and that we all have things that we struggle in. We all have things we're gifted in. But if we have a safe work environment, we can share those things and we can help each other through those things. And it's it's not a shame or a fear-based culture. And we've really got to get away from those kind of cultures, especially in the workplace. It's so sad. Um, and it really is defeating, I think, even for the people who come in needing the help at the moment. Sex trafficking can be very stigmatized. And I think over the years, um, our country is working really hard at certain people in our country are working really hard at destigmatizing uh, what sex trafficking is and and how to help survivors of sex trafficking. Can you talk a little bit about the stigma and what you guys are doing to destigmatize the the work around that? Uh, yeah, it's kind of fun that you asked that because we just did some interviews for um, a documentary this week and anytime often we have people who say hey can we have a survivor tell their story and um, that's just pretty re-traumatizing for people so we set boundaries around that but I said well you know when these people called I said are you open to us having our own questions and answering them because if so then we might work with you and they said yes which is not often and so what we did is we focused on um, we had our survivor advocates interview not people in the program right now that's I think that kind of crosses a boundary but you know, they had the option to do it. They chose to do it. Um, and so we focused all about what is it to have survivors and leadership? What is it like for them? What are the gifts that they bring to the table? What are those assets? And I think that's also a big piece that maybe is coming more to the light about how important it is to have healthy survivor leaders a part of, um, I hate to say this movement, this is people's lives, but it's kind of hard to, to describe, you know, what we're talking about here. And so they were able to really bring, you know, their resiliences that they've had through their experiences and how those are used in a, in a positive way here now. And that's a, a really big piece, I think, going forward. And I think that also, it really helps with the stigma as well to say that these are not just completely helpless, vulnerable people. These are incredibly strong people, but who ended up in a really difficult situation that was almost impossible to leave. Um, and many people, you know, grow up in gang trafficking where their family members are trafficking them and they don't know any other world but that culture, you know, and so when they're introduced to something else and they have the ability to choose it, um, then you really see their strength and it was there the whole time, but it was having to be used for survival and now the strength can just be channeled in a different way and so I think that's as well, you know, a lot of times I go places and I see trafficking posters and they're really, um, scary, negative. And while I understand what that people are trying to communicate, it's serious. And I appreciate the awareness. When I talk to survivors about it, they're like, that's so triggering. If I go to a counseling office and there's those trafficking flyers everywhere, that's the last thing I want to see, you know? Um, and it's really not helpful. It just still, again, communicates this idea that people are incredibly helpless. And I, I think it's more that many times people have not had another opportunity and they haven't maybe had the support to leave, but it's not because they're just completely incapable, if that makes sense. Um, I think too, there has been a lot more awareness to say, you know, that people have been victimized um, in trafficking. They're not just willingly choosing because this seems like a great idea. Uh, I still have yet to meet that person. Um, but I will say that that idea still exists in a lot of places. I still run across people who 
the same with the idea with domestic violence. Well, if you just wanted to go, you'd go, you know, so you must want to stay. And it's just not the reality. There, there's so much that happens there with um, even a level of brainwashing, um, a level of just not having another option to go to that. How, how can I just pick up and go if there's not another place to go? And that's part of what we want to do here is to say there is an opportunity here and we're partnering alongside you. We can't do this for you, but we'll provide what we can and we'll walk alongside you in that healing journey and asking the question, what does that journey look like for you? What are your goals in that? It's not about what I want for you, but what are your goals in that? And let me help empower you. Let me help connect you to resources maybe you didn't know about, but you are doing the majority of the work. Um, I am just a small person here to journey with you. Uh, there's a group called Fight the New Drug that is about exposing kind of how dangerous pornography is um, to our minds, to our relationships, and, and all these areas and how it does contribute to trafficking. And I, I think we have a lot of work to still do there. Pornography is just so accessible for people, so addictive. And it's kind of seen for, in most cultures as kind of one of those acceptable addictions, you know, it's kind of laughed about, it's not a big deal, but, um, you know, the connection with pornography and trafficking is so intense. You, you just cannot deny it. How can people find you or donate or? <laughs> so uh, I'm in Lubbock, Texas. So if you ever <laughs> come here, I'm, it seems like I'm not going anywhere. So um, our website is opendoorlbk.org. And you can go on and learn about a lot of the different parts of our community. But if you're looking specifically to read more about survivor housing, I think there's a tab under our housing options and it says survivor housing. Um, there's a tab on there to donate. We definitely want to ever stop donations. We need a lot of regular monthly donors. It's really, really helpful to keep everything going. And you can start that for, for five bucks a month. We have a lot of people who that's what they're doing. And that support, that consistent support is so helpful uh, in all that we do. But you can read a lot more, you know, about us there. And then I would, again, just really encourage you to get out there and learn for yourself. So I'll just kind of give a few shout outs uh, for some places you can go online. Um, but fightthenewdrug.org, they have a mini documentary on there. There are several documentaries about tra trafficking in different ways, but I Am Jane Doe is one that, you know, came out somewhat recently about, um, you know, the back page stuff, which I think a lot of people started learning about, you know, uh, whenever that case came to light. And um, there's a documentary called Very Young Girls out by a group called Gems um, out of New York City. So there, there is quite a lot available um, out there to kind of learn about what's what's going on. And we also, I believe on our website in survivor housing, we have some links to some, um, we also have a mini documentary out that's about 15 minutes you can watch on there. So I would just really encourage you to go and, and learn more and find out what's in your community. There's very likely some groups in your community already working in that area, but you just may not know who they are. And there's a lot of national organizations that you can go and learn from, like Shared Hope International, Polaris Project. A lot of them also have a lot of information on their websites to help you learn more. Great. Thank you so much for all of that information. I know I'll be checking some of that out for sure. <laughs> so yeah, thank you again for meeting with us and having this chat with us. This was 
great information, just great insight. And I so appreciate you. So thank you so much. Awesome. It was good to be with you guys this morning.